morning. Uh, my heart is very full this morning. Um, thank you, all our young men, for participating the way you did, for leading us the way you did. And I want to tell you something. When I was your age, um, nope, that would not have happened. Right? I was terrified to, to lead in any capacity. I did not outgrow that. I just learned how to train myself to overcome that with God's grace. Uh, I do not like getting up in front of people, believe it or not. It is not my favorite thing in the world to do. But I love the gospel, and God has made a way for me to share the gospel in spite of all of my shortcomings. And I want to encourage all of our young people, whether you are up on stage or not, that whatever you decide to do in your life, whatever it is that you want to pursue, that you make room for God in that pursuit, and that you allow him to work through you in ways that can serve the church wherever you end up and wherever it is that you may land. Uh, because he will do that in powerful ways if you let him. And so, young people, I just want you to know on behalf of the whole church, we appreciate every one of you, we love you, and we are incredibly proud of you. And so, thanks for being a part of this with us this morning. We're going to talk about being afraid of the dark this morning, something everybody can relate to. And I want to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to tell you two scary stories. Uh, one is a scary story from my own life, and the other is a scary ghost story from the Bible, because there is one of those, believe it or not. So let's start with uh, a story from my own life, if you would. First, let's start somewhere good, okay? This is a picture of my happy place. I want you to see this, okay? The cute little blonde on the, the dock there might be somebody you recognize. Uh, this is a lake in far northern Wisconsin, where my brother and his family own a little summer cottage. And we got to go there in August, uh, right before we came to start working with you guys. And northern Wisconsin is my favorite place in the whole world. We grew up in Wisconsin, but northern Wisconsin is something special. There's kind of two halves to the state of Wisconsin. The southern half is everything you think of when you think of Wisconsin. It's corn, it's cows, it's cheese, it's cold, it's snow, it's all of that stuff, right? But northern Wisconsin, we still get the snow, we still get the cheese, uh, but it's beautiful. 15,000 lakes in the state of Wisconsin. And in one county alone, uh, Vilas County, is a place where I loved to go when I was younger because the fishing there was amazing. And when I was younger, I lived to fish. It was my greatest passion in the world. If I could, I would have fished all day, every day, unless my mom made me eat or go to sleep. It's just the thing I love to do more than anything else in the world. And as I got older, we started going on fishing trips, and my dad and my three brothers, uh, or my two brothers and myself, sorry, the three of us, would go along with uh, an uncle and some cousins, and we started going to northern Wisconsin. Eventually, we would go up to Canada, and that's where this scary story takes place. So, spooky, right? Ooh. I googled spooky picture, and this is what came up. <clears throat> So one year we went to uh, a lake called Eagle Lake in Ontario, and it's a, a massive lake, some of the best fishing in the whole country. I was so excited to go. Um, I think I was probably 22, 23 years old. And we found a place to rent from this gentleman who had bought an old, um, well, he called it a resort. I think that was a very liberal use of the term. It had a main cabin, and it had these little tiny log cabins that were all built in the 20s and 30s. And it had been abandoned for like 30 years, dilapidated. He bought it. He renovated the main cabin and then one of the little cabins. And so he had use of these two buildings. 
So my cousins and my brothers and I were staying in the little cabin. There weren't enough beds. And so long story short, my youngest brother Josh and I ended up having to share this uh, twin-size mattress. It was awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. So we had been fishing all day, every day for like five days. I finally had enough. I could not sleep. My brother does this thing where he likes to talk in his sleep a lot. And so it kept me up all night. And so finally I had enough and I thought I've got to get at least one night of sleep. So we get in late. It's dark out. There's a little bit of moonlight. And there's these other cabins that we weren't supposed to use. And I thought, well, skip it. I got to sleep somewhere. So I go and I find the, the nearest cabin, open the door. I can't hardly see anything, but I see a bed. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to lay down. I lay in the bed and dust just piles up on the bed, right? Who knows the last time a person had used it. But I was so tired, I didn't care. Doze off immediately. And then something wakes me up. And I hear kind of a scratching at the door. Now, mind you, this is Ontario, Canada, where there are bears everywhere, right? And so scratching wakes me up. And I, I got to tell you, I am not a stranger to being alone in the dark. I grew up hunting and fishing. I would spend hours before dark in, in hunting, hunting tree stands and such, you know, where it was just me. So I, I'm used to critters crawling around in the dark. It doesn't really creep me out. But you guys know that sometimes in the dark, what happens to your mind? plays tricks on you, right? It starts to tell you that there's really scary things there, whether there are or not. This is what the dark does to us. It terrifies us and it convinces us of alternate realities. And so here I am in the dark and I hear this sound and I'm getting creeped out. And then I look at the door, I can kind of make out the shape of the door and the door goes, you know, just like out of a spooky movie, right? The door opens and there's a little bit of moonlight and in the moonlight is the silhouette of this big, black, hairy creature. And this is a tiny little log cabin. And I immediately wake up because there's a bear about to come into my cabin. And I'm like, what am I going to do? This bear is six feet away from me. I have nothing. I have an old pillow. I could beat the bear off with a pillow, but I don't think that'll probably work. My mind is racing. Like, what is my strategy here, right? But if you've ever been in a position where you've been truly terrified, what happens? Sometimes your whole body freezes, right? And so I'm thinking in my mind, i got to go into attack mode, but my body is petrified. I'm laying on the mattress, can't move a muscle, and he starts to walk towards me. And, you know, it feels like it's taking forever, and I can hear him sniffing in the cold air. And he gets right up next to the bed, and the next thing I know is front legs are on the bed, and he's hovering right over me. And I'm thinking, this is it. This is how I'm going out. A bear's going to eat me in the middle of Canada in the middle of the night. And then he gets really close, and he licks my face. And it was a black lab. <laughs> it was not a bear, right? And I thought, oh man, the owner of the place we were staying had come to check on us in the middle of the night and his black lab had gotten out of his truck and found out that he could get in my cabin and wanted to cuddle with me that night. And oh, I almost died of a heart attack, if I'm being honest, right? But the point is, even somebody like me who was used to being in the dark and wasn't normally scared of that, my brain told me there was a bear coming into my cabin, and I was terrified, right? This is what darkness does to us. It plays tricks on our brains, and it convinces us that things are much scary, scarier than they actually are. So that's my scary story, but now I want to tell you another story from the Bible, and I'm going to ask my friend Paxton, if you would, to come up and read this passage for us. So Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, if you'd like to follow along. Good morning. 
Today I'm going to be reading Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went up to them, walking on the lake, and when the, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got out, down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the board, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Thank you. All right, Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. It's a story most of you are probably familiar with. Jesus has had a, a busy day. He's fed an enormous crowd of people, and he wants some time alone to pray. So as he goes to pray, he sends his disciples in a boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where he's going to meet up with them later. While he's praying, a storm comes up on the sea, and these men are terrified. And I, I want you to put this in context, because like I said, I was familiar with the situation I was in, and yet it still terrified me. These men are familiar with this situation. They're in a fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee. Remember, four of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, did what for a living? They were fishermen, and this was their home lake, the Sea of Galilee. So they weren't strangers to being on the lake at night in a stormy situation, but this was a particularly bad storm, and they are terrified by the storm. And so Jesus finally comes to join them, but he doesn't walk around to the other side of the lake. He takes a shortcut, which for Jesus means what? He walks right across the surface of that lake. And I just want you to try to picture that scene in your mind if you can, and it's, it's almost impossible. A lot of us, I think when we picture Jesus walking on water, we think of Jesus walking on like still glassy water, right? But is that the situation in the Sea of Galilee this night? No, it's a terrible storm, and he's walking across the surface of the water. Well, these men are already scared, and they see him, and their initial reaction is that they think he's what? A ghost. They think he's a spirit, an apparition of some kind. They're terrified because none of this makes sense. And like I said, sometimes the dark does that to you. It plays tricks on your mind. And on top of that, they're not thinking that a man's going to come walking to them across the top of the water, right? All of this is out of context. All of it is leading to them being terrified. But when Jesus gets close to them, he says, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. And what are, what are the words that he says to them? Do not be afraid. Right? It turned out just like that story I told you. I thought it was a bear, it turned out to be a puppy. Right? They think it's a ghost, it turns out to be Jesus himself walking on the water. They were so overcome by their own fear that a situation that should have been amazing to them was terrifying to them because it didn't make any sense. The darkness had overcome them. And they had given way to fear. And Jesus tries to put that fear to rest. He says, it's me. Don't be afraid. And then Peter does something that's very Petery, right? 
He does what Peter always does, is he decides this is an opportunity for him to do something bold. And so Peter answers him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, what happened? He's afraid. His fear comes back up, right? He's walking on the water. Jesus is empowering him to do that. And yet he looks around at his circumstances and fear grabs hold of him again. And what happens to Peter in that moment? What does he do? Begins to sink. And he does the only appropriate thing to do in that situation. When you're sinking and no one else can help, what does he do? He cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. I thought I could do this, but I can't. And I'm out, about to get in over my head, literally. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But we do doubt, don't we? We get in those moments in our own walk with Christ, don't we? Where we do give way to fear and we give way to doubt. And more often than not, it's because of this exact situation. God has empowered us to do something bold because of our faith, but we look around at our circumstances and we get afraid and that fear gives way to doubt and then we begin to do what? Sink. And what do we do in those moments where we give way to fear and fear gives way to doubt? And we begin to sink. What do we do in those moments? We do the same thing Peter did, right? We cry out to Jesus to save us, knowing that he will always be there to pull us out. Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So the situation changed. By the way, this is the third watch of the night. So this is somewhere like between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. They've been fighting this storm all night long. When this happens, finally, Jesus is in the boat with them. The storm subsides. And this is what I want you to really see. What happens then as a result of all that? Everybody in the boat does what? They worship him. And they say, truly you are the son of God. Fear gives way to awe. Suddenly, they don't care anymore about the situation around them. All they can think about is, look what Jesus just did. And this describes us so perfectly in this story because there's moments like that in our life where after we've been overcome by fear and we see the way Jesus has the power to save us, suddenly fear is the last thing we're thinking about. We just stand there in awe like they did. And the only thing we can do then isn't be afraid but offer worship because we're so grateful for the way that Jesus has saved us. When you think about the ways in your own life that darkness has caused you to be afraid and caused you to doubt I want to explore that for just a couple minutes this morning. In John chapter 1, another passage it was read for us this morning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God, right? And nothing was made that wasn't made through Him. He had a hand in all of creation. And then we get to verses 4 and 5, and John says this, In Him, the Word, and who is the Word that he's talking about here? Jesus. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some of your translations might say the darkness could not comprehend it. The word that's used there has dual meanings, and maybe that's exactly why John used it, because he has both of those things in mind. But I'm using the ESV, which translates it, overcome it, and I think that's the most likely translation here. The idea here is... The world is swallowed up in darkness, right? 
When humanity decides to live apart from their creator, what happens to creation? It falls apart at the seams. Everyone suffers. Every part of God's good creation suffers when we decide to do life on our own outside of fellowship with our creator. God recognized that. He recognized that this world that he created to be good and perfect and beautiful is swallowed up with darkness because of our own rebellion. He knows that. And so what did he do? He sent Jesus into the world. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. He sent him to live among us to become a light, a light that darkness cannot overcome. And if you've ever been in a pitch black environment, you know that the tiniest beam of light becomes the only thing you can focus on, right? Light shines in darkness, but can darkness overcome light? Well, you can cover up light, you can turn a light out, but the light that Jesus came to bring is a, is a light that darkness cannot overcome. And kids, listen to me, what I want you to understand this morning is that you have access to this light. That this light is something that you can use. This light is something at work in your lives today. And so those moments in your life where you are afraid of the dark, there's a light that you always have at your disposal that you can use that darkness can never overcome. And that light comes from Jesus himself. In John chapter 8, if you want to turn over there with me, in John chapter 8, Starting in verse 12, Jesus likes this light-dark analogy. He uses it a lot in his teaching. One of the great I am statements in the Gospel of John, in verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Referencing the beginning of John. This is exactly what John is talking about. Jesus is that light that has come into the world that darkness can't overcome. And so he tells his followers, I am the light of the world. But then he tells them something amazing. This is what that means to you. The next statement is this, whoever follows me, Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is a light that I have brought to give to you so that you have access to it. You can use it. You can employ it. You can live in it. You can walk in it. You don't have to be like the rest of the world who lives in darkness. You can embrace this light that I'm bringing to you, and when you do that, when you allow that light to live inside of you, something special happens. And that something special is in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to turn over there. Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14. So Jesus says in John, he says of himself, I am the light of the world. Here he says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Think about that. You are now the light of the world. How can that be? Because Jesus has given us that light that resided in him. And when we walk in his steps... That light that belongs to him now lives in us and we become little points of light, right? I did youth camp for summers for a long time in Wisconsin and one of the cool things about the facility we used is right next door was an observatory 
that the University of Wisconsin would use. And one night every week, we would get a college professor who would come in, and we'd get to look through the telescope, and he'd show us really cool planets and constellations, and the, the kids loved it, right? But before we could do that, we all had to sit outside for like 30 minutes to allow our eyes to adjust to the dark. Now, that might be a strange thing if you've only ever grown up in Southern California, because it never gets dark in Southern California, right? Not really, really dark. Have you ever been anywhere where it was truly dark? Anybody ever been to Joshua Tree, right? A perfect place to look up and see something you never see in Southern California, in this area anyway, which is what? The Milky Way. You ever been in a place where you could look up and see the Milky Way in its glory? It's amazing, right? But your eyes have to adjust to the dark so that they can see those tiny points of light. And what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is we have lived in darkness so long that our eyes have adjusted. And we feel like, hey, I've got this without you. I can figure out life without you because I've learned to stumble around in the dark. But he's given you something amazing. Light within you. Right? So you go back to these kids at youth camp. It was always a battle because they all had flashlights with them. And guess what kids want to do when they have flashlights? What do they like to do? Turn them on, right? Try to convince 100 kids to leave their flashlights off in the dark for 30 minutes. So let me know how it goes for you, right? Constantly turning on the flashlights because they love to see the way the light breaks through the darkness. You are all little flashlights to this dark and dying world, right? And God has given you this light that resides inside you where you become these little beams of light so that people outside of God, outside of Jesus, who have only ever known darkness, see your light shine. And what happens when you see light shine in darkness? You're attracted to it. You want to know where it's coming from. What is it pointing to? What is it all about? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Can you guys set up that, next, that last slide for me back there? Then he says this in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are all little beams of light. And God has given you a source of light through his Son that can reside within you. So when you get in those moments in life where the darkness is too much and all you can think about is how scared you are because the darkness is all around you, Life is going to be like that sometimes. And I'm not talking about people turning the lights off. I'm talking about what it looks like to try to be faithful in a world that does not recognize God. When you walk in a world that is overcome with darkness, there will be times where you are terrified by that reality. But in those moments, remember that there is a light within you. Jesus is the light of the world. And when Jesus lives in you, you become the light of the world. And he's asking you to do something very important with that light. Not to cover it up, not to turn it off, not to turn it down, not to hide it away, but to let it shine in all its glory so that the world around you can see what it looks like to have Jesus shining in your life. And that when they see that, they might want to know more about it. God has empowered you to be that kind of light to the world around you. And so I want to encourage you, everyone, but our kids especially, it's time to stop being afraid of the dark. 
And I've got a reminder for you. So if my helpers would come up, you guys want to come up here real quick? Kids, I've got something for you to serve as a way of a reminder of the things we've talked about today. Ask your parents if it's okay. Come down and uh, see either Gracelyn or Stefan. They've got something for you. I, I ordered these uh, glow-in-the-dark bracelets for you, and they say, uh, let your light shine with the passage that we talked about this morning. So you guys can wear these, and they can serve as a reminder to you, especially in the dark, that you are a light unto the world. And here's a little trick, just so you know. Before you go to bed, if you want to wear these and have them, keep them under a light or ask your parents for a flashlight and sign the flashlight on them for a few seconds and they'll glow nice and bright. But this can be a reminder to you guys that you are lights unto the world. We've got plenty extras. If adults with dainty wrists want to borrow some, you can have them too. Teens, I know you're too cool to get them right now, but if you secretly want one, come and see me afterwards. You can have one, all right? But I want you to remember always that you are a light unto the world. That light doesn't come from within you. It's put there by your God and by your Savior. Never stop letting that light shine. We got to see some of your light shine this morning. We get to see them every day. We get to be around you guys when the joy that you share with us becomes contagious. We love to see you smile. We love to see you laugh. We love to see you running around and acting crazy sometimes. But what makes us happier than anything is when we see you serving your God. And so, kids, we love you. And again, please don't ever forget how important you are to us and how important you are to Jesus. He is with you. He is inside of you. And that light is always shining. With that, the lesson is yours. If you need anything from us as a family this morning, we invite you uh, to let us know about that. And so we're going to stand and we're going to sing one last song. If you'd like to now to come forward and talk to us, we'd love uh, to counsel you in anything that we can. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to study with you. Uh, if you're the kind of person that doesn't want to come up in front and let that be known, then I invite you to talk with one of our shepherds. We've got some men who shepherd us who truly love the church and would love to make themselves available to serve. Uh, our shepherds, if you're here, could you just raise your hands uh, nice and big? So if you're visiting with us and you would like to have a conversation with one of our shepherds, they will be around afterwards. Uh, you are more than welcome to grab them or myself, and we'd love to serve you in any way we can. But for now, let's all stand and let's sing this last song nice and loud together. I know.